0: For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. I am excited today to have a conversation with Dr. Shirag Shemasian and I understand I even pronounced your name correctly, which is pretty good me. And Dr. Shirag Samasian, Dr. Samasian is with us. He's a, a missions consultant and he works with complex kids who are looking to fulfill their potential in life. I'm going to kind of cut it there and let you tell us a little bit more about what you do. He was a complex kid himself and now he's serving the community. So welcome, welcome Shirag, and tell us a little bit about what you do with families of complex kids and how you came to be doing this work.
2: Yeah, absolutely. First of all, thank you so much for for having me, Elaine. And yeah, I'm really pleased to be here. Uh, what I do professionally uh, is I help people get into medical school and and also top colleges. And I've been doing this for the better part of two decades now. And you know, there are various ways in which we assist families. So everything from You know, four-year course planning, so what courses students should take in college, how to make sure that they're taking on an appropriate level of challenge without overburdening themselves. Of course, this becomes especially important when you're working with students with disabilities or learning differences and all these kinds of things. Uh, We assist with planning out extracurriculars, how to develop relationships with rec letter writers, standardized test prep, application essay support, interview coaching, the whole nine yards. And you know, students also come to us for you know consultations around um, you know scheduling MCAT test dates if they need you know testing accommodations and you know consulting about these kinds of things as well. I mean, my this was all very personal for me. You know, I grew yeah. up uh, in the states um, as a child of two immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents are ethnic Armenians who were born and raised in Lebanon and left during the civil war over there in the seventies. And so, my brother and I grew up in Southern California, and we ended up. You know, growing up in a very insular community, in the Armenian yeah. community, I went to an Armenian school and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, my, my teachers were largely immigrants themselves, as was my college counselor. And so, you know, we, we sort of got handed the immigrant menu of, you know, the careers that you could do, you know, doctor, right. dentist, engineer, that sort of thing. Um, and then when it was time to apply to college, I said, all right, mom, dad, like you've been pushing this all our lives. How do we do it? They're like, what do you mean? We didn't go to school here. So uh, that was a, that was a pleasant surprise. Right. And, um, and, so, but it was especially made, uh, I think complicated in my situation because I grew up with Tourette's syndrome. So it's a diagnosis I, I carry to this day, but around eight or nine, I started exhibiting a lot of facial and. You know, other motor and, and vocal tics. And, and mm-hmm. so, there were, my community didn't really know how to handle that, you know, not only with stigma, but also lack of experience. And so, I had to navigate these kinds of things about how to get into great schools, yes, but also how to pursue accommodations. And, and through my personal experience, out of necessity, um, developed an expertise and was helping an increasing number of people over time through word of mouth and really developed a heart for helping students, um, you know, achieve their educational and career goals. And, you know, speaking about students with disabilities and guiding through education is, is a particular uh, passion of mine.
1: Well, you know, what occurs to me is, is you know, you were a two-week kid, as we call them. You were twice exceptional. You were mm. clearly intelligent enough to be, you know, go into Cornell and UCLA or wherever you did your schooling, if I recall, I think mm-hmm. that's what it was. And also challenged with a neurological disorder like Uh, Tourette's that had to have its, its complicating factors. And so I guess the question that's coming up for me is, you know, here you are as an adult looking back with hindsight, what do parents of two E kids in particular need to understand better about their kids? What, what do they tend to be missing that you wish, you know, you can stand on your bully pulpit? What do you want them to know?
2: Yeah. It's going to be a little tough lovey. You know, my advice to parents is to not change your expectations for your child, um, you know, to maintain high expectations for your kids. I know that every child is different. You know, the level of difficulty they're going to experience is different, not only as far as severity goes, but also there's just an incredible range of, you know, difficulties that students can have. But I think that when parents find out that their kids have a learning difference or a neurological disorder and all this kind of stuff, there is a shock, right? There's a shock. There might be you know, some lack of acceptance, um, or denial. And then there's sort of the grieving period of like, you know, I thought my kid was going to do X, Y, and Z. And I don't know if I can have the same plans for them and all that kind of stuff. And, And I think that unfortunately from my observations and my experiences, expectations tend to get lower, right? They can do this. Go ahead.
1: So so I want to challenge your language just a little bit because I'm not disagreeing with you. I do think that a lot of times parents feel like they need to lower their expectations. The language that we often use is shifting expectations Okay. so that it's not about lowering or raising them, but it's about modifying them to meet the kid where they are developmentally so that you can help them continue to grow appropriately, but you're not holding them to expectations that they may not be ready for if they've got, say, a developmental delay. Sure. How does that land for
2: you? Understood. And and this is, you know, I I appreciate you, you jumping in there. And, you know, this is why earlier on I said, you know, I want to preface this by saying there's an incredible range, right? So yeah. obviously there's someone who has, um, you know, intellectual disability or something like that. Um, you know, obviously you're going to have different approaches and all this kind of stuff. I guess my takeaway point here is that maintain expectations for their child and help them achieve whatever their ceiling is, right? Yeah because we want to make sure to assist our students with developing, you know, with having the right accommodations and getting the right resources and all this kind of stuff. But I want to push parents to, to see that their student is capable of so many things, depending on the condition, they might be just as capable as others and need additional, you know, supports and things like that. And, and frankly, you know, when I was growing up, so, you know, I would say my community didn't handle this very well because they're like, ah, that stuff's just like these American issues, they're made up and all this kind of stuff. You're just being lazy. <laughs> First world problem. I heard all sorts of terrible things, right? Yeah. At the same time, you know, as I've grown up and looked back, which essentially was your question, I appreciated probably they did this unknowingly, you know, my mm-hmm. but but they still maintained expectations, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it, was, it wasn't great that I had to figure out a lot of this stuff on my own. But, you know, making sure that you're pushing, you know, students to achieve at their highest levels and, and believing in them, because I believe that kids and adults, we sort of play to the level of our expectations. You know, mm-hmm. if uh, even as, as expectations shift, sure. if we believe in them and we communicate belief, I think that, you know, our kids play up to that. And they meet. They meet you where you're at too. So exactly. I think it goes both yes. ways.
1: Well, and what we often talk about is holding a vision, right? If you can, you know, as parents, we have this vision for what we think our kids are going to be, and then we get the kid, and it turns out we then have to kind of modify that vision to yep. who they are, not who we thought they were going to be. Sure. But we still want to hold the vision for their capacity, which is what I'm hearing you talking about—to see the that that what we want for them is to reach their full potential, whatever that is. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely, I think that's a critical thing. And you know, anyone who has kids, you know, I'm the parent of a of a three year old son, so they are going to be. you beginning to this, of this
1: adventure. Much
2: more, yeah, much more experience in <laughs> this. But but even I've observed, you know, at such a young age, you know, there are, there are so many things that you you know you thought he would be interested in, or, Ooh, I want to, you know, help my kid, you know, develop this skill or, you know, train to, and he's just like, I'm not interested in that thing. And so as parents too, (laughs) we have to observe what they're naturally gravitating towards and then, you know, helping them figure out how to achieve that and enjoy it and all this kind of stuff. And, And, and you're absolutely right about, you know, kids will show us a lot about what they're capable of and what they're interested in. And it's our job to figure out how to, how to promote that essentially
1: again, our where we talk a lot about playing to their strengths mm-hmm. and then outsourcing the challenges, right? Yeah, and so in the work that you're doing and the conversations you're having with kids, what do you, what have you gleaned from these bright and challenged kids about what they may be, what may be difficult for them in their thinking or what they may need from their families?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that the biggest challenge that I observe when working with students with disabilities, and mind you, I'm working with, you know, teens and young adults in this space, the number one concern I see, or the number one thing I observe is issues with self-belief. You know, I think that there are so many students who are exceptionally you know, bright or motivated, or a combination of these things, and because they don't have many examples, people with similar conditions making it at a high level, they're sort of getting you know signals uh, from around them. Of, mm, are you sure you're cut out for this? Right. And that you kind sure of stuff creeps that. in, and it's important. You know, in the same way, representation when we think about you know racial and ethnic representation in different fields, we also want you know who have disabilities, and that sort of representation in different fields, and and for folks to be outspoken about the challenges and and the successes, because you know there are, there are kids out there who are looking for role models and examples and things like that, and so when i observe students part a big part of my job is to encourage them and it comes up in all sorts of ways you know whether mm-hmm. they can handle the academic load whether you know by getting accommodations are they are they cheating or getting an unfair advantage a big yes. question i get all the time is all the time yep yeah, a big question i get all the time is you know i have this disability should i disclose it on an essay is there a stigma is it a yes no question should i disclose or not or is there is it a yes but the question is how Right, and so there are a lot of nuances here that we talk about with students all the time. But there's always sort of this like concern about, mm, am I going to be left out of X, Y, and Z because of my condition? And and so I think helping students develop greater self belief and promoting their you know their their successes is a huge part of what we do as as mentors.
1: Well, you know, I think I mentioned this to you before, and those of you who know me, I've, with permission from my one of my kids, I've been pretty out pretty open about, I have a kid who is in the process of applying to medical school
2: mm-hmm.
1: in her mid-20s, and she is she has learning disabilities, dyslexia, plus ADHD, et cetera, in our world. And that issue of, how do I talk about this? There was not a question whether to talk about it in some way, because it was such a defining part of who she mm-hmm. is that she would have felt disingenuous not to share it. But how to share it in a way that felt safe was a huge challenge and and very unclear. Because on the one hand, they're asking questions, whether it's undergraduate or or graduate level. The schools are asking questions about how have you been different? How have you handled adversity? Mm -hmm. They're asking all this stuff because you think they want to know. But then you do get a lot of advice that tells you don't stand out. So how do you respond to that?
2: So, the question you always have to ask yourself is not whether or not you should share it, but what is the point in sharing it? I think mm-hmm. students struggle when they don't have clarity about why they are disclosing something. So, mm-hmm. a lot of people, you know, when, when you question and interrogate why they're concerned, you know, it's more of a thing where they just want to say, I want to disclose this thing so that the reader knows I had it harder. That's <laughs> not good enough. Okay. That's not a good enough reason. The, a good reason is describing how your condition changed your perspective, how it served as a springboard for your eventual successes, right? So, for instance, if I talk about my Tourette syndrome, it's always in the context of what it helped me. Observe in myself and in the communities that I was serving, and the perspectives that it gave me, and the extracurricular trajectory that it set me down on, and what I might want to do career wise. In that way, you communicate it as an asset rather than any sort of liability or weakness or anything like that. Right. And so, if you position it that way, it's great. Um, But I think, you know, I see too many people who do have, you know, various disabilities, and they almost say, like, ooh, like I know that they're asking for adversity. But I'm going to give something that's a little bit less adverse because I don't want to, you know, scare them off from admitting mm-hmm. someone with a learning difference. And, and so they're sort of juggling this, like the how much do you share on a first date kind of thing? Right. And it's like, well, you exactly. know, you don't get well, you know, you might not have a repeat date. So you have to really put yourself out there, but do it in a way that a you're comfortable with, but also has a clear why.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that. That what's the point of it and how did it serve you? So let's talk about making this real. You know, I would suspect in my audience that there may not be quite as many parents of kids applying to medical school as there are parents of kids going to sure. undergraduate school. Let's talk a little bit about whose agenda is it when you're supporting kids who are trying to go to, to some of these higher level schools that we're talking about? To, I mean, a lot of kids in our community are barely getting through high school and going to college at a commensurate level. And then we do have high performers in our communities, I call them these kids who really have the the vision. How do you assess when the vision is the child's versus when, when the pressure is coming from the parent? How do you deal with that disparity?
2: Yeah. So you get a pretty good sense, um, you know, in talking to parents and students early on. Now there are essentially four quadrants, right? There are situations where the parents are highly motivated for their kids mm-hmm. to go to a top school. And so are the kids. And there's a lot of alignment there. And obviously the issues, I mean, if a student is really, really motivated, but the parents like, yeah, sounds good. This is, you know, their dream and I'm pushing. That's also okay. Where we start running into issues is when parents have ultra high expectations, but their students are either not as high achieving as the parents think or hope the kid is. Or want them to um, be. Yeah. Yeah. Or you know, or, or something like that, or, you know, they're really interested in the students high achieving, but they're just, they're like, whatever, like, I don't need to go to this Ivy league school or whatever the case might be. And that's the issue. I think that comes up them, you know, that's when yeah. it's an issue I should say. And so it's all about, you know, having open conversations with parents and, and students, especially with parents about like, what does this mean to you? Like the, because I think that Again, my parents are immigrants and a lot of the students we support are children of immigrants, right? Whether they're, you know, they're from the Middle East or from South Asia or East Asia or, you know, South America or whatever the case might be. And so there, you know, a lot of these parents are coming, you know, to this country for work, for different opportunities. And what I've observed in my parents and, you know, other parents is essentially if their kid gets into a great school, it sort of stamps that, you know, we made it.
1: American dream. We're, we're going to yeah. be
2: good. We're on the right track. So I think mm-hmm. I think top colleges mean a lot more than just the quality of education, right? Because people oftentimes go like, you know, why would you pay this amount? Why are people going after these schools that have a less than 5% acceptance rate? Isn't the quality of education, you know, just as good as this other school and this honors college? I'm like, sure. But you're assuming that's all it means to families. That's not mm-hmm. all it means to family. That's like saying, why would you buy a Louis Vuitton purse? You know, I had this $50 purse holds the same amount of stuff. It's not about the amount of stuff it holds, right? So there's a prestige, there's a feeling of comfort that as a parent, I did it right. My kid's going to be okay. They're going to be able to quote unquote, leave the nest. So it it sort of aligns with our hopes for our kids. And Mm -hmm. so I think that going to great schools is a wonderful blessing. You know, it's a wonderful thing to take advantage of. We live in a country that... Probably have the best, you know, post-high school education in in the world, which is which is a blessing. Agreed. But we have to make sure that we understand what our students want, because again, if the motivation is not there, it doesn't matter who you hire and all this kind of stuff. You know, your student might not play to your expectation, and they might not achieve the results that you want. So, getting that sort of like, what does this mean to you? And also, what is your student trying to achieve? You know, if if a if a student's trying to be a I don't know, a social worker or something like that, you know, going to the most prestigious school is going to have less of an impact on whether they are able to get into a master's social work program. It's different than if they're trying to go into medical school where undergrad prestige is going to matter more. So what's the ultimate goal? What does it mean to you? All of these things matter right what social experiences region these kinds of things so getting well, clear on that usually drives this discussion
1: well and what strikes me is that it's what matters is not just the parents perspective but the child's or the teens like what we talk a lot of, a lot about this issue of in, agenda and ownership and mm-hmm. whose agenda end, is it and parents will come to us very often with my kid's so smart Right. But mm-hmm. so these are kids who have the potential to be high achieving, but may not be. And the parent sees it, wants to hold the vision. But for a number of reasons, it may not be the kid's path. It may not be what they're interested in. Sometimes they may not want to pursue it because the parent's so attached to it. Sure. And so it, there's a disconnecting the parent's agenda from the kid's agenda here that I think is, is part of what I'm hearing you speak to.
2: Absolutely. And that's going to be the, the biggest thing. I think that's when, you know, students feel like they can't please their parent, no matter what they do, no matter what. Yeah. yeah parents are like, well, I'm trying, you know, maybe you can change. And I tell people, you know, when students have a natural motivation, you know, it it moves super smoothly, we'll set the agenda, we'll give the right guidance. Well, I tell parents sometimes, Where, where our support stops, you know, I'll call, I'll text, I'll get them back on, you know, on the saddle. What I can't do is fly to your house and get them out of bed. You know, in other words, the motivation has to be there. (laughs) That's a parent job. Right. But that's where you also have to understand as a parent, like what are the limits to support right at the end of the day, they have to do it.
1: Right. And that speaks circles back around to ownership and buy-in. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in our realm, particularly when you have kids with executive function challenges, even if the motivation's Mm -hmm. there, that may not still be enough if there's not real ownership and processes in place and that kind of thing. Yeah. So how can people find out? more about you? How can people get in touch with you?
2: Yeah. I mean, visiting our website uh, is the best way. Uh, Shamassianconsulting.com. I know it's a mouthful. and I was going to say it's in the show show notes. notes. (laughs) So Um, you don't have
1: to try to smell that, but I will tell you there are two M's in (laughs) Shamassian.
2: Yeah. Two M's, two S's. Um, And so, you know, there's a contact form uh, in the top right corner. There's a link on our site and you can get in touch that way. um, You know, it'll come straight to my inbox and I would love to assist, but, but the other thing is, you know, most of the folks who read our resources never get in touch with me in in the sense that they consume a lot of the resources online on our blog and on our YouTube channel. So, um, you know, if you ever have a question about a certain aspect of college admissions, literally type that topic and Shamasyan in Google and and it'll come up. So it'll be a pleasure to support. However.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. And so, I guess the question I have is: There anything else you'd like to share with our listeners that you want to make sure that they'll take away from today? What I just heard you say is, you know, get do your research, get support, get information, ask for help. Anything else?
2: I mean, I think that's an excellent place to leave it as far as, you know, do your homework, uh, not only about school selection and financial aid and uh, Mm -hmm. which schools serve students with disabilities well and all this kind of stuff, but also, you know, maintain belief in your child and, you know, encourage them in, in whatever avenues that they're showing a lot of skill and gifts.
1: Awesome. I can't ask for more than believe in your kid. That's just the end of the day. That's really what it's all about. So, um, Shirad, thank you. It's been a pleasure before we wrap, do you have a favorite quote or motto that you'd like to share
0: with our listeners?
2: Yeah, I think it's Mark Twain. Don't, uh, don't you know, quote, don't, you on don't that, quote right? me on that, but it's, uh, whether you believe you can or you can't, you're right. Um, I love yeah, that one.
1: I do too. I thought it was somebody different. So we're going to have to look that one up and we'll, we'll find it in the show notes and I'll let Again, you know. happy to be on. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. <laughs> Well, again, thank you for being here. It's been a pleasure. What I love about this conversation is how the opportunity to hold the vision for what our kids are capable of. And in the world of complex kids, it's so easy as parents to to default to what's wrong and where the problems are and where the challenges are. And and the work that you're doing is really holding the space, as we would say in the coaching world, um, for these kids to really be the amazing adults they have the capacity to be. So I really honor that work that you're doing. Thank you for being part of our conversation. And to those of you listening, thanks for what you're doing for yourself and your kids. Reminder for what Shiraga is saying today, hold the vision, see what's possible and help them see that for themselves. That's what makes the difference.
0: You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.